It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October twentieth, two thousand and eleven. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to join you on Thursday night for our Internet Bible Study Group. As usual, it is great to join you. And uh, we're glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And you want to keep those uh, ways to contact us handy tonight because the program for tonight is going to be one that will elicit a lot of uh, listener participation. And it's going to be rapid fire. You're going to have to be on the send send button or you'll be left behind. This is is an ADD-friendly virtual Bible study right. program. You, don't have, you do not have to have a long attention nope. span nope. Uh, to, to stay with us tonight. All right. Uh, what is the topic for tonight? Jacob, tonight we suggested the topic, be ready always to give an answer from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. As Christians, we're obligated to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us. And so with that idea, be ready to give an answer. By the way, the word answer there is the Greek word apologia, to make a defense. That's where we get the word apologetics? Apologetics comes from that. And the mm-hmm. idea is you, you, to make a defense, like in a court of law, yeah. you know, th- that you would present your case and show why it's so. Okay. And so uh, that's what we believe we need to be able to do. And with that idea in mind, we've suggested 15 questions. I, I think you could obviously suggest maybe 1,500 questions. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I picked 15 questions. Really, that most of them came from another source, uh, but many of them are specifically addressed toward members of the Church of Christ, but uh, questions that all people need to be ready to answer. Uh, and so we're not even going to read those questions. There's too many of them, and people wouldn't be able to remember. We're just going to go to them one at a time. If you got our update today in your email box, you have those 15 questions. You might pull that up. We have some email response, and we'll be looking for... Uh, responses in our uh, chat room window as well. Let's uh, let's tease with some of these questions. So we're okay. going to talk about uh, creeds. What's our creed book called? Okay. What, what what do we think about baptism? Does baptism save? Why are we not uh, called by some name other than Christian? That'd be a question that uh, we've got on the list tonight. What about priest? Uh, my church has priests. Does the Church of Christ? Why don't you celebrate Easter or Christmas? Why do you condemn gambling? We'll talk about some of those, and we've got many more. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting. Yeah, we've got discussion. about we've got about probably four minutes per question tonight. So obviously, it has to go real quick. Uh, and so, as we said, if you're in the chat room, be ready to hit fast. We'll try to catch as many of your comments as we can. Uh, but we're purposely going to go rapid fire tonight. This is quick, not in depth. Uh, kind of study. All right. We look forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Give us a call tonight. It's toll-free. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. And if you're listening to us live, join in the chat room with other listeners to the right of your video window tonight on the program. If you're listening to us in the archive version, we welcome your comments at any time. You can contact us via the email or via phone. 
we would like to hear from you. Well, we got a new operator tonight. We Jacob do. Are you, are you going to go ahead and make any apologies for? No, no. We're, we're no, expecting. We're, job. we're expecting top-rate performance from Monty. Yeah. Monty Overton is running our board for us tonight. Yeah, Monty's Monty. often sat in on the virtual Bible study. Many times, sat here in my seat when I'm away. Uh, but tonight, we've got him behind the board, trying to give him a, a quick crash course on how to operate the controls, and everything's going well so far. So, Monty, welcome to the program tonight. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to have you helping us out again. It was a last-minute call. Monty's got two pizzas in the truck, and his wife is at home waiting on those, but so we'll have to make the program quick tonight. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to the first question, Jacob. We, like I said, we've got to cover ground. We've got to do it quickly. All so right. first question, why is the Church of Christ not called by a regular denominational name like Methodist or Baptist? Um, well, lots what? of answers to that question. All right. Uh, where are you going to start? Well, uh I would say if God, if Jesus wanted us to be a denomination, we'd wear a denominational name. But Jesus obviously has problems with the concept of den- denominationalism. Denominationalism suggests by its name division. Yes. They, that groups are denominated into separate little sects or groups. Yeah, and Jesus uh, prayed explicitly in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, verse 21, that there would not be denominations in the religion, in the Christian world, religious world, so to speak. Uh, John 17, verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus wasn't looking for a uh, religious landscape like the one that we have in our world today. He, doesn't, he does not approve of religious division. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 would be another verse that teaches against religious division why do we why do we go by the name church of christ rather than a name like methodist or baptist well one easy answer would be find the name methodist or baptist assigned to the church in the new testament you can't there was never a methodist church or a baptist church or a lutheran church or a presbyterian church in the new testament uh christians did uh, identify themselves by several names one of them being Church of Christ in Romans sixteen sixteen, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So when we go by that name, we're trying to be like the church. Read about in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, "I will build my church." Jesus only ever intended to build one church, and he said it would be his. I will build my church, and so when we go by the name Church of Christ, we're identifying ourselves as the church that belongs to Christ. It's the church of or the church belonging to Christ. That's, that's what we're saying. That's just a cop-out, though, because the name Church of Christ is a denominational name like Methodist or Baptist would be the retort that you Well, hear. we have an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, who says the Church of Christ is a denomination in the sense of just a sign out front, but not in the sense of Matthew sixteen eighteen, Mark three twenty four, Acts twenty twenty eight, Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 1, 13, 1 Corinthians 14, 43. Uh, I'm not sure I follow Don. Well, what he's saying is, if it's just if, if you're you, you could use the name Church of Christ, it's like a denominational. It, 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 and name. I think some people do have a denominational concept. We're saying that whole concept is wrong. And that's what Don, I believe, is saying okay. is, if it, it what it is is a, it is just a defining term to define uh, the church that Christ uh, died to build. And so we're not uh, striving to be a denomination. We're trying to be that body that Christ said He wanted, and that that a unified body. That he prayed for in John seventeen twenty one. An email from Jim in Mount Pleasant. He gave those yeah, same two that. verses: Romans sixteen sixteen, Matthew sixteen eighteen. Mike in Indiana does as well. Anthony in, in Columbia, Tennessee says Jesus promised he'd create his church. So since we are striving to be that church, we simply call ourselves what we are: the Church of Christ. And I hope people can get that point. It is the Church of Christ. It is the church that belongs to Christ. 
That's that's a descriptive. It's not a ti- it's not a denominational name or title. It's a descriptive of what it is. We're not Church of Christ Ers or Church of Christ Ist. That is not uh, you know. But as Don mentioned, some people do try to use that terminology in a denominational sense because you'll hear people from time to time, especially down here in the South, you hear people say, "Well, I'm Baptist, and you're Church of Christ." Yeah. Well, that's not what we are. We're Christians. We're going to go to that question next. But the the church that we're a member of is the church that belongs to Jesus, the one that you read about in the pages of your New Testament. All right. The number calls 877-381-4567. The email is questions at collegeview.com. Why do you call yourselves Christians, number two, and not Lutherans or Campbellites? Well, you do hear members of the Church of Christ sometimes referred to as Campbellites. We're going to go to that question a little later. So let's let's reserve comment about that because we've got a question later. Uh, question eight is, I heard the Church of Christ was established by a name, man named Alexander Campbell in the 1800s. Is this true? We're going to deal with that question later. But that's where the term Campbellite comes from. Some people may have heard the name and never not even know what it means. Members of the Church of Christ are sometimes called feliciously Campbellites that we are followers of Alexander Campbell. We're not. Uh, we deny that. Uh, we'll talk more about that, but that's where that name comes from. But, of course, uh, many in the religious world call themselves after some man's name, like Luther, after Martin Luther. Yeah. Uh, so why don't, we, why don't we use a name like that? Why do we just call ourselves Christians? Well, those uh, names denote that you would be following uh, an individual rather than following Christ. And we believe we should follow Christ and Christ only. And uh, some of our listeners have uh, uh, sent in comments along those lines. Jim in Mount Pleasant says references Acts chapter 11, verse 26, where we read the Christians, their disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so that's the name that they wore in the first century because they weren't following a man, they were following Christ, and uh, therefore they were his disciples. Exactly right. It, it, it's Again, it's an identifier of who we are and what we believe in, what we practice. We believe that that, by the way, we believe that when it says in Acts 11:26 the, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, that it's a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 62:2, where it says that God said his people would be called by a new name. I believe Isaiah 62:2 prophesied that that would be the case. Uh, uh, Mike in, in Orleans, Indiana says, if, if those in Antioch, again, he references Acts 11, verse 26, a lot of our answers are lining up with each other tonight. Uh, if those in Antioch were content to be called so, why shouldn't we? Christian means of and the word Christ, uh, and the word Christ. So, can you think of a better name? All right. And also, Anthony says uh, we follow Christ and His doctrine alone. Therefore, we are Christians, just as those that are mentioned in Acts eleven twenty six. All right. Uh, you know, really, it's interesting that the name Christian is only found three times in the New Testament. It's found there, as we've mentioned several times, Acts eleven verse twenty six. It's found in Acts chapter 26 when Paul was making his defense before Agrippa. Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So it was a known name of the followers of Jesus Christ in that first century time frame. And First Peter chapter 4 verse 16 is the other place that uh, you're Exactly right. There. If any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. It's the name that, that the followers of Christ wore in the first century under the influence and guidance of inspired apostles. That's the name they wore. That's the name we wear. All right. Uh, that's number two. We've got some... Wait, well, real quick. Don oh. said... Uh, in his email, the word Christian is so corrupted that I do not call myself one. Well, I call myself one who hopes to be of the elect. 
Well, I'd have to disagree with Donald on that. I mean, I understand that the name Christian has been corrupted and been assigned to all kinds of things that it doesn't fit. But we can't let the abuses of us of it turn us away from the scriptural designation. The followers of Christ were called Christians. You know, that was a problem in the first century. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, there were people calling themselves brothers who weren't living like a brother should live in First uh, Corinthians 5.11, but now I've written it to you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator and so on, they weren't they weren't shunning the name brother. They were just there were people who were using the term erroneously, but uh, that didn't mean that the term was not valid or shouldn't be used. Money. You know, if we were going to not use a scriptural term for ourselves just because other people had used it wrong or corrupted it, we'd realistically have to throw the whole Bible out because religious people have misused the Bible and corrupted its teachings over the centuries to where we couldn't use anything that the Bible said to describe ourselves or any other religious activity or practice. You know, Don says he likes to call himself one who hopes to be among the elect. Well, people have misused the word elect. And so, I mean, if if we're not going to use biblical terminology because people have sometimes misused it, then, as you said, mine would just have to throw out everything. All right, Majestic Knight in the chat room says, just because men corrupt something does not mean we are to shy away from it. All right. And Anthony says, awesome job, Monty. You're getting some kudos. Anthony, there. Anthony, one of our other operators, is, is committing He's giving you the kudos, yeah. yeah. Let's quickly, we're running, we're running late. Question three, going to three. Why do you insist upon baptism as a condition of salvation? Now, remember, Jacob, the premise of our lesson tonight is be ready. Give an answer. Make a defense. And uh, so, uh, especially members of the Church of Christ are going to be frequently questioned on the matter of baptism. Why do you insist on teaching that baptism is necessary as a condition of salvation, necessary for the remission of sins? Well, we insist on it just because Jesus did in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, again, if I'm interested in doing what Jesus said, not what some man like Luther or Calvin or Wesley would have said, but if I'm interested in what Jesus said so I could be a Christian, a follower of Christ, I want to do what he said to, to do in order to be saved. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the words of Jesus. That, yeah. You know, somebody says, well, you guys have just, you guys have really jumped on this baptism thing and you've made it uh, so important. Well, Jesus is the one that said that. We didn't say that. Yeah, and we're not getting any kickbacks from baptism, baptismal manufacturers or baptismal garments. We're yeah. not, there's, there's nothing inherent in baptism that is uh, something that we just find pleasurable or uh, desirable. There's all kind of verses that teach the necessity of baptism. Uh, Anthony mentions, he mentions Mark 16, 15, 16, Acts 2, 38. Uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2, 38. He mentions 1 Peter 3, 21, which we're going to talk about next. All right. Uh, Jim uh, mentions Acts 2.38. What more do you need? Uh, and then Mike in Indiana says, Hebrews 5.9 says that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. How can one be saved if we re- refuse to obey him? And he's the one who taught baptism. Yeah, that's unbelievable. All right. Rip, well, we're up to a break. We did not make our, our, our break quoted, but well, let's take our first break, Jake, and we'll go to question four when we get back. All right. We'll take a break, and we'll get your comments on the other side. We want you to give us a call at 877-381-4567. We want you to email at questions at collegeu.com, and we'd like your comments in the chat room where Majestic Knight uh, follows up with our discussion on baptism. He says we teach it because it is a command. Exactly. Very easily Bottom understood. line. All right. Don't go anywhere. Virgil Bible study continues right after this. 
Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If you want your neighbor to know what Christ will do for him, let him see what Christ has done for you. Jesus said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Where complaining exists, thankfulness is absent. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we are back on the program tonight, and we appreciate you being here as well. As we look at uh, various questions... Rapid fire questions. Uh, questions that might be asked to those who are members of the Church of Christ. Especially, especially, but not not exclusively, but especially, many of them uh, uh, pertain to members of the Church of Christ, and we're addressing them uh, under the premise that we're supposed to be ready to answer. You're, getting all, def- have, you're getting all defensive on us tonight. We're supposed to have a, a ready answer to make a defense of what we believe. All right, we're defending what we believe, and if you disagree with us and you think that we're wrong, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, send us an email, join in the chat room tonight. And then maybe if you've got a, an issue with one particular one of these questions and you'd like us to deal with it more thoroughly, if you have some objection or alternative point of view, let us know. We'll hit the, either hit the pause button tonight and just talk about that exclusively, or we could talk about it next yeah, week. We, we might plan it for another whole program. All so, right. question four, where does the Bible say that, this question four, nowhere does the Bible say that baptism saves you, does it? Uh, well, I think that was an easy answer. Well, that, that and, uh, is going to be a u- unanimous consent on, among our responders. Yeah, all, all our responders are going to say this, and it's the right answer. First Peter three twenty one, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that verse actually answers several objections about baptism. Someone says, I can't see how me getting my physical body wet has anything to do with saving my eternal soul, the inner the inner man? How does getting my outward body wet have anything to do with saving my inner man? That verse answers it. It's not just the put. It's, it's not just getting wet. If we're just getting wet, we could forcibly baptize anybody we wanted to. Yeah. It's not just getting wet. It's when we engage in that act uh, with a good conscience toward God. It's an outward act that's prompted by our heart heart not and, and it's empowered by the fact that jesus rose from the dead if he hadn't rose from the dead you could be baptized a million times it wouldn't make any difference well, but i think that verse puts it together very nicely money does baptism save us the bible just as we just read in first peter three twenty one says that it does yeah all right all right now i think and you said jacob i think it's right uh 
All of our email responders said that. Uh, Mike in Orleans, Indiana, said there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism. First Peter three twenty one. The antitype to baptism is in verse twenty, that of Noah and the eight saved by water. So there was some, there was a shadowy suggestion of things to come when Noah was saved by water in the ark, and that and that materialized was brought to fruition in the New Testament ordinance of baptism. All right. That's a quick uh, rundown on that question. I think we need to make up some time and go on to the next. Number five, what is your creed book called? You know, most denominations, well, we already talked about denominations, didn't we? Yeah. Most denominations have a creed book, like the Baptist Manual yeah. or the Methodist uh, Confession of Faith. Uh, what's your creed book? Well, the creed books, in and of themselves specifically stand in the way of what Jesus prayed for in John 17, verse 21, that his followers be unified. The reason that the creed books stand in the way of that is because if I follow the Methodist creed book and you follow the Baptist creed book, we will never be unified. It is a physical impossibility. We're going to end up someplace different. But now if we play by the same rule book and make that rule book the Bible, then we will be unified by default. All right. we're not getting much chat in the, in the chat room. Maybe we're going too fast. They can't work their fingers fast enough. But we, we do have these good emails from from our three of our uh, regular, consistent listeners. Uh, Mike in Orleans just simply says our creed is the Bible. Yeah. Jim in Mount Pleasant says the creed is the Bible. Anthony says we have none. And he references Matthew 15, 9. 15, 9. Uh, the reason why we wouldn't have a creed book written by men, Jesus said in Matthew 15:9, "In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men." If we have, if we follow the commandments of men, if we establish a human creed and we follow that, what's it do? Makes our worship vain or worthless. All right, uh, majestic knight in the chat room says, "Creed books come from men. The Bible comes from God, and we believe that, and that's why we follow the Bible and we shun." Uh, human creed. First Peter four eleven. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, if I'm asked a question, why are you doing this this way? Why do you teach that? Why do you believe that? I should reference that from the scriptures. I should not say, well, because the the Methodist Confession of Faith says this or that. So what? Uh, that's a human creed. We want to follow God's word. All right, and it has been said, Dad. I think I probably heard this from you, although I'm sure it did not originate with you. If your creed book says more than the Bible, it says too much. If it says less than the Bible, it doesn't say enough. And if it says exactly what the Bible says, there's no need for it. We need to stick what God said and uh, leave the creed books off. Very good. All right, question six. We're moving right along because we've got a lot of room, uh, a lot of territory to cover tonight. A question we get a lot. We've had whole virtual Bible studies dealing with this. We probably need more. But the question is, why don't you have music in your Uh, worship? A question asked by someone who's never come to one of our worship assemblies. Exactly right. Because we have music in our worship assemblies. We have music and lots of it, Monty. We have music at every one of our worship assemblies. I don't recall that we've ever had one that we left it off. All right. And it's good music. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's great music. Uh, Mike in the... uh, Orleans, Indiana says, we do have music. It is a cappella music, which means in the style or manner of the church. You know, that's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people know. You know, there's a, there's this show. In fact, we interviewed a guy last year, Jacob, who was a participant on this uh, national show called Sing Off. The Sing Off, yes. It's, it's back on again. It is. And is it, is it's it? all a cappella. Yeah. And it, uh, acapella groups are really quite popular now. And, and, and the music is pretty phenomenal. I mean, they can make some amazing sounds without instrumental accompaniment. Uh, 
But the term a cappella, people use that, and everybody knows a cappella means to sing without musical accompaniment. Yeah. But it is from the Latin, which means in the style or in the manner of the chapel or the church. Mm-hmm. It was so common, sing, singing without instrumental accompaniment was so common in churches back in ancient times. We can prove historically that in the first century, Christians did not use instrumental accompaniment. That's an accompaniment to their singing. That's something that was added later, so much so that the expression a cappella came into common usage to describe that kind of singing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, the New Testament church, Mike says, worshipped in this manner. Jim Walsh in, uh, Mount, in Mount Pleasant says, uh, we do have music, Ephesians 5, verse 19, and Colossians 3, verse 16, with bo- which both reference singing in the church. Okay. Uh, I think there's eight scriptures in the New Testament that reference music that is offered by disciples of the Lord in worship and praise of him, and they all comment on singing. None talk about musical accompaniment. We hear an objection sometimes that in the book of Revelation, you read about angels playing harps. Yep. So if the angels play harps, why can't we have instruments of music? Because you're not an angel. We're not angels. We're not in heaven. If we were angels or if we were in heaven, it might make a difference. But we're not. We're humans. We're mortal humans on earth worshiping God in in the church. We should do it like it well, is We'll get us. into this in another question. But uh, if we're going to worship God, the, the, our worship, we want our worship to be acceptable by God, not acceptable to us. And if we're going to do that, then we ought to do it the way that he said, not the way that we might please. Yeah. And if I can have, if we can bring in an organ then uh, we can open up and do anything that we want because uh, we're deviating from what God has explicitly said. All right. Uh, Anthony says, God through the Bible has not given permission to use instruments of music in worship. The only music we are commanded to give is vocal music, Ephesians 5, 19. All right. Um, and we have some... Uh, Don Don is writing as we go, and, and he's sending another email. <laughs> His fingers are working Yeah, he caught enough. up with us at question six. He says, all churches have music, but the Church of Christ, in the sense of Matthew 16, 18, believes in a cappella music, while more and more of the churches of Christ, in the sense of the sign out front, are allowing instruments. That is true. In other words, he's, this is back to his original comment about some are using the term Church of Christ in a denominational sense, and some of those don't feel bound by the authority of scriptures might add the instrument. And this is not something that happened overnight with them. This is a deviation, and it's just a, another step in a deviation that started many years ago in which authority from God's word, and that's the next question, was laid aside. And that's why it's important that we make sure that we have authority for all that we do because when we begin to deviate and say it doesn't matter, Monty, then we can go in any direction that we want, and it'll be just left up to what seems good to me and what seems right to me. That will be our only rule and our only governing governing uh, uh, motive there. You know, if we're going by what seems right to me or what seems right to you or someone else, then basically we don't have any rules. We can do whatever we want. And that's what we see in the religious world today. Again. And they're basically doing anything they want. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, no unity. Uh, let's go real quick to this this question on authority. Question seven was, you all sure do talk a great deal about authority. Why should I worry about having God's authority for what I do? Mm. Uh, how are you going to answer that? Well, I'll tell you how Anthony has answered that question. He answers it by Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. 
which says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Anthony concludes that in the name of means by the authority of. And so we must do everything that we do must be by the authority that God and Christ have given us in his work. Exactly right. Uh, Jim has added uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to Colossians three seventeen. Jesus told his disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the fa- name of the Father and of the Son of, uh, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Disciples are to do whatsoever the Lord has commanded, not what they invent themselves. All right, and Mike in Orleans has an interesting take on it. He says, 2 John, verse 9, Whosoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. So he says, if you're going to transgress, and you're not going to have authority from God's word, you're not going to abide in the doctrine of Christ, then you'll do so apart from God and Christ. You will not have fellowship with him. Okay. All right. That's a good angle. And Don says, uh, why, the, the question was posed by someone who doesn't think authority is necessary. The, the question was, why should I worry about having God's authority for what I do? Don says, you don't worry about it because you're obviously not a believer. <laughs> it, it's when one becomes a believer that he worries about authority. Well, I guess I, I mean, think that's probably right, too. I mean, if you want to be a Christian, Monty, if you want to claim that you're a follower of Christ, that you're one of his disciples, you're going to do what he says for crying out loud. You know, we can understand that in anything else that we go to do. If we wanted to join a club of some sort, we would find out what the rules of that club was and operate inside the authority and club functions that had been given to us by that club and by that rules or charter. But when we get to the Bible, we want we want to throw that whole thing out and just do what we want to now, do. Or if I want to be a law-abiding citizen, I find out what the laws are of the place that I live, and I abide by them. I don't just say, well, I'm a law-abiding citizen, but I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about the laws. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, this next question, let's tease with this next question. We'll come back to it after our halftime break. I heard the Church of Christ was established by a man named Alexander Campbell in the 1800s. Is this true? Mm. We're going to go to that when we come back from this break. Alexander Campbell, 1800s. Is it true? All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. We hear it constantly in the news. Let one political candidate offer a single criticism of his opponent's position, and the cry goes up, negative campaigning. It's gotten to the point that no substantive discussion of political differences can be undertaken without someone making the objection of negative campaigning. In reality, such discussions are absolutely essential if we are to make a reasonable choice between those running for public office. Obviously, the candidate himself will not discuss his questionable past performance or his unpopular views on critical issues. If his opponent is not allowed to bring those things up, how can we know? How can we make the right choice? Please make application of this same principle to the work of preaching the gospel. There are some who are constantly fuming about what they call negative preaching. Typically, this means that they oppose any teaching that specifies sin in people's lives, anything that says, you're wrong, you need to do better. But think for a moment. If those who teach and preach never deal with such subjects, how will people be informed and motivated to make needed changes in their lives? Can't you see the vital need for negative preaching? Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was a scorcher. That church was full of problems and Paul hit every one of them. It wasn't pleasant, but it had to be done. 
As a result, the people repented. And Paul wrote, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. For I perceive that the same epistle have made you sorry, though it were for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner. That's 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9. So we need the truth. Even when it exposes and rebukes our sins, let's demand it always. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight, and we'll let you know this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, or if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, Come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, Sunday... <coughs> Excuse me. Getting you choked up. I know, I'm all choked up about that. Go ahead and finish <laughs> uh, Join us on Sundays at 9.30 for Bible study, 10.30 for worship. We have a Sunday evening worship at 6 o'clock. And our w- Wednesday night service is at 7 o'clock. And, of course, the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock, all the central types. <clears throat> We've got a gospel meeting coming up, Jacob, oh, yeah. for everybody in the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, if you're able to uh, make it, we'll be having a gospel meeting. Starts Sunday, November the 6th, and runs through Friday the 11th. Have different speakers each night, and uh, a lot of good gospel preaching will take place. So if you can come, and then on Thursday night of that week, we'll have our gospel meeting at 7, right at the end of that period at 8, we'll rush in here, set up the virtual Bible study, and Donnie Donnie Rader will be the speaker that night. He'll be joining us on the virtual Bible study. Yeah, it'll be fun. So we encourage you to come and worship with us. We're talking about various questions that might be asked to members of the Church of Christ tonight. We're asking ourselves, are we ready to give a defense? We're asking you for short answers to those questions. All right. Uh, Question number eight was, I heard the Church of Christ was established by a man named Alexander Campbell in the 1800s. Is this true? Well, our answer to that is no. We're trying to be the church that Jesus established in the first century. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church. Uh, we believe that he accomplished that mission. Uh, the church began as recorded in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it says, in fact, in verse 47 of Acts 2, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the church began and people were being added to it. In the first century, we're trying to be that church. We're trying to be members of that church, not any man-made religious organization or denomination. We're simply trying to be that church. So we we claim not to be a member of anything started by anybody in the 1800s. We claim to be a member of the church that Jesus established in the first century A.D., uh, as we read in the pages of our New Testament. Again, uh, Jim, Jim mentions Romans 16, 16. In that first century, they were known as churches of Christ, Romans 16, 16. Uh, Anthony says uh, the church was founded by Jesus, began on Pentecost, as documented in Acts chapter 2. Campbell was simply a restorer who was interested in restoring the church described in the Bible. We do not follow any creeds or doctrines devised by Campbell or anyone else. Very good answer, Anthony. Do you do you typically read from Alexander Campbell? I don't. I have I have some writings of Alexander the Campbell in my library. I've got I've got uh, writings of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, mm-hmm. John I've got Wesley. Of, uh, I've got uh, uh, Calvin. Uh, you know, uh, I've got all kinds of, of authors. That doesn't mean I follow any of them. I, I might read what they had to say, but that doesn't mean I'm a follower of them. If they help me understand 
If any of them can help me in better understanding what the Word of God teaches, then that, that, that can be helpful. Uh, Mike has composed a yeah, really just, good answer. But he totally violated the rules. Tonight. He really violated the one-line answer, but, man, it's a good answer. Uh, he says, i got to give this because I think it's an excellent answer. Thanks, Mike, for this answer. He said, I heard the Church of Christ was established by a man named Alexander Campbell in the 1800s. Is this true? No. Romans 16, 16, there's, uh, the churches of Christ salute you. There's plenty of historical evidence to demonstrate that the church has been in existence dating back to, uh, well, he, he says dating back to 1,000 A.D. And that's so, just historical reference. In other words, you can read about churches of Christ going back to 1,000 A.D. Uh, you can read about groups that were named Church of Christ existing from then and on. We, of course, believe it goes all the way back to the first century A.D. But then here, notice what he says. I include the following info. I understand you may not have time to reference it in the show. I just find it interesting to share it. Such a claim that Alexander Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ, such a claim would be historically impossible. He says, below is a picture of William Rogers' tombstone located in the Cane Ridge Meeting House near Paris, Kentucky. Uh, Probably some of our listeners have been there. I've been there. You've been there. Uh, Yeah. Uh, William Rogers, born in Campbell County, Virginia, July 7th, 1784, removed with his father to Cane Ridge, Bourbon County, April April in 1798, united with the Church of Christ at Cane Ridge in 1807, died in 1862. All right. Campbell didn't even come to the United States until 1809. This man says that he united with a Church of Christ at Cambridge, Kentucky in 1807. The question begs to be answered. How could Mr. Rogers have united with the Church of Christ in October 1807 if Campbell did not even come to the country until two years later? Of course, the obvious answer is that he could not have. Have you seen that grave marker? Yeah. You have. Well, that's great. Now, uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, Majestic Knight has a couple others. He says there's historical plaques set up in Revere, Massachusetts, in a, identified a church in Revere called Church of Christ of Romney Marsh. Revere was originally called Romney Marsh. The plaque says the church existed in 1710. There you go. All right. He also references there's a gravestone in a burial ground near the Boston Commons identifying a man who was a deacon in Boston Church of Christ, and he died in the late 1600s. Thus, the term Church of Christ was known and used long before Campbell. It was, in fact, used long before Campbell in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 16. Okay, so again, our, the premise of our lesson is you got to be ready to give an answer. And that's a good answer. you got to be ready to give that. Good answers. Give those answers. And by the way, uh, let me give – Mike gives a website here. Uh, Traces-of-the-kingdom.org. So get that again. Traces dash of the, this is Traces of the Kingdom with a dash between each word. Tracesofthekingdom.org. And he says there's a lot of historical evidence there concerning churches of Christ, reference, historical references to churches of Christ dating way on back, way before Alexander the Campbell. All right. Don, let's, let's go back a minute because you asked Don about, uh, I think, shying away from the term Christian. He says he agrees the word elect is also misused, but I don't see anyone going around nowadays saying they are of the elect. Why do free will churches shy away from it? Now, Don would refer to us as a free will church because we believe that God has not specifically chosen us to go to heaven or specifically chosen us to go to hell, and there's nothing we can do about it. We believe that God wants to save all men and that he has given all men the choice whether to serve him or to be rebellious. And the elect, God has elected to save those who are obedient to his will. Now, and we don't, and, and I would, I would, 
disagree with the fact that we shy away from that that designation. It's it's a biblical proper designation. Uh, we we strive to be among God's elect. There's there's nothing wrong with saying that. All right. And if we do shy away from it, it may be just a uh, uh, involuntary shying away. Maybe uh, because it's not, it is pur- it's not purposeful at yeah. least. Okay. okay. All right. But again, Don shies away purposely from the term Christian because it is misused, and so I, I don't know what the point would be there. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, we do appreciate the comment, Don. We appreciate you listening tonight. All right. Uh, where are we on time? Okay, let's go to question nine. I believe we can use the Old Testament as authority for certain things like burning incense and instrumental music in worship. Do you agree? All right. Mike says no. Colossians 2.14 says that having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Uh, so Colossians 2:14 through 16 uh, is a really good passage. Write it down if you don't know it. Colossians 2:14 through 16. It shows that the laws of the Old Testament have been abolished. We don't live under those laws anymore. They're, we believe the Old Testament was given by God. It's inspired, but it describes a law that served a purpose, and when its purpose had been fulfilled, it was replaced with the New Testament will of Jesus Christ. So we today live under the New Testament law of Christ. Therefore, we have to find our authority. We talked a minute ago about authority. We have to find our authority for what we do religiously in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 3 teaches the principle that if we go back to the Old Testament for our authority, we become a debtor automatically to do the whole law. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. Uh, And uh, so uh, we're... uh, yeah, you can't pick and choose. You can't no. say, I'd like to burn incense, and I'd like to play instruments. But man, I don't want to do that. Or, or like they were doing the first year, I'd like to be circumcised. But I don't want to do that animal killing stuff. No, it's, uh, that's, 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 that's bloody. That's, 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 Sabbath a, that's a mess. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I like to pick a few things out of the Old Testament. I want no. If you're going to pick any, you have, you're, you're obligated to do all. Uh, let's see here real quick. Uh, Jim mentions Hebrews 8, 10 through 11. This is the covenant. This, uh, the Hebrew writer is quoting from Jeremiah uh, 31. And he says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? The whole point of that, and in that whole context, is we live under a new covenant, not under that Old Testament covenant. And David, who uh, is writing from points north tonight, uh, references Jeremiah 31 as well in the chat room. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So there was a day coming, which the Old Testament would no longer be in effect, and that time has come with the death of Christ. And Anthony mentions the Old Testament law was fulfilled by Jesus, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, and nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, 14. All right. All right. Uh, where are we on time? We've got time for one more. And the chat room is getting ahead of us tonight. Uh, uh, Jim in the chat room tonight, uh, is uh, he's already answered number 10, which is, why can't I do anything in worship that pleases me emotionally? Uh, that's, the, that's the thing here. Monty, have you heard that? Uh, people defending their worship practice by saying, well, it just it, I just like it. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it, it just, boy, it really builds me up. Well, I've heard people use that excuse or whatever for doing things that we don't find in the New Testament. 
But to me, it seems like I ought to learn to like what God has instructed me to do rather than trying to bend God's will to what I like. And that's what Jim has said in the chat room. He says, if one desires to be a disciple of Christ, then they ask, what does the Lord want me to do? Not, what do I want to do? And money, that's what it's gotten down to in the religious world today. Well, we need to look back to what the definition of the word disciple is. That the word disciple defined has to do with a person that follows a certain belief system or the teachings of a certain teacher. So if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, by definition, then I'm following what he taught and what he has instructed us to do, not what I have instructed me to do, because then I'd be a disciple of Monty rather than a disciple of Christ. That's right. All right. Have we, uh, we're on 10, right? I'm, I'm about to lose. You're, oh, we're ahead of you now. Yeah, yeah we're on number 10. The, the question is, why can't I do anything that pleases me emotionally? Uh, uh, Jim and Matt Pleasant, we haven't got time to read all this text, but he, he references Colossians 2.20. Uh, through chapter 3, verse 2, uh, talks about doing things that uh, uh, are will worship, uh, things that gratify us rather than doing the will of God. Uh, and who else have we not covered here? Uh, Anthony says, God has told us how to worship him, and he expects strict adherence to those commands. Just ask Nadab and Abihu in That's Leviticus good. 10. That's good. They, they went about doing what they thought they could do the way they wanted to do it, and they were struck dead by God. Okay. And who we got? Mike. Uh, you can't do what you want to because there's no authority. Matthew 15:9 says, "In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men." If you teach the commandments of men, even your own commandments, uh, you uh, make your worship vain. And Dave has an interesting uh, take on it in uh, the chat room. He says, "You can do anything that pleases you emotionally, and in pleasing you, you have received your reward." However, you are practicing lawlessness. He references Matthew 7 verses verse 23. And also he references the verses just before 21 and 22, All right. w- which talk about, ple- really, it's an interesting text. We've used it many times, but it talks about religious people who thought they were doing good things for the Lord. And Jesus said, I never did- knew you. Depart from me, ye that work lawlessness. You've got to do your religious service to God in accordance with his law, by his commands. And we said if anyone disagreed with us, we'd like to take their objections. And Don is disagreeing with us tonight quickly before we go to the break. He's, again, asking us why we don't use the term elect. He says, I do not remember any times that you have referred to yourself as the elect unless the program is about Calvinism, although there has never been a program in which you do not refer to yourselves as Christians. That is That may be true. I don't know that we've referred to ourselves as Christians on every program, Don, but there are other terms that are to describe uh, Christians that we have not used, uh, very rarely saints, for instance, um, uh, there are other terms as well that we've not used. But we, I know that on the Virtual Bible Study, we've said there's a number of designations that apply to God's people, including the elect. Yeah. Uh, God's people are also called the Church of God, in addition to being called the Church of Christ. The bride. The, we don't the, refer to ourselves the, necessarily the, as the bride all the time. It's, it's, it, sometimes it's called the Church of the Firstborn Ones. Uh, but... We don't use those designations. We're not opposed to being the elect. I don't have any objection to using the biblical term in its biblical context, the elect. Predestined. Even predestined. We believe that we We are predestined. Those who we believe God predestined those to salvation who will obey his will. We believe in God's uh, definition of of predestination, not John Calvin's definition. All right, quickly, let's go to uh, our last break, and then we got, wow, four questions to go. All right. Four. Five. Five. Okay, we're going to go fast. Don't go anywhere. We're at the top of the hour right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello, everyone. 
I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program, and we do encourage you, if you're listening to us in the archive version from our website or in the podcast version, contact us if you have any questions or comments about something you've heard or a topic suggestion for future editions of the virtual Bible study. We should say that we do appreciate Don. Uh, for being in the chat room and for giving us that dissenting view tonight, we appreciate him. We've we've talked with Don for many years now, and we we've I've never met him in person, talked to him on the phone, but uh, it's good to have him in the chat. Yeah, room we tonight. appreciate Don listening. Always, everybody who participates in the virtual Bible study. Quick, we got to go fast now. Question eleven: Why don't you refer to your to your preacher? Why don't you refer to your preacher as Reverend or Father? Well, Mike uh, gives us why we wouldn't use the term father as a religious designation because Jesus specifically said, and I never understood how yeah, religious is. groups could do what Jesus said don't do. Matthew 23, 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Uh, that's why we don't refer to uh, a preacher as father. I mean, yeah. very simply. And then, then um, the uh, concerning reverend, to call oneself reverend is to put yourself on an equal plane with God, for the Bible only calls God himself by the title reverend. The passage is Psalm 111, verse 9. Psalm 111, verse 9. Reverend, The name reverend is ascribed to God. Uh, uh, Matt, Jim in Mount Pleasant has the same verse uh, that, uh, that Mike mentioned, and Anthony in Columbia says the terms are never used in the Bible to describe a preacher. Therefore, we don't use them either. Okay, good. Got to go, got to go. Uh, question 12. My church has priests. Does the Church of Christ have priests? Oh, yes, we do, and a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is all of God's saved people under the New Covenant are called priests. You know, under the Old Testament covenant, there was a separate class of priests. Mm-hmm. Under the New Testament, all are priests. First Peter 2, verse 9, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mike and John, uh, Jim also reference verse 5 of that passage, where Which it refers says, to us as a holy priesthood. Okay, it talks about ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ. Uh, the the thing that we would stress here is no place in the New Testament in the in the Church of our Lord is there a clergy laity distinction, 
And most denominations make such a distinction. The New Testament does not. We do not. All right. And uh, Anthony concurs with that as well. Don, along, I guess it goes along the lines of what we're talking about now. Says, the point is, and he's been challenging us on the use of the word elect. The point is that certain words have been corrupted so much, such as saints, elect, bishops, priest, church, Christian, etc., that it has got to the point that if you use any of these words, someone may take it the wrong way. This is why I do not like to refer to myself as Christian. Well, yeah, he made that point earlier, but we're, our, our point was you can't allow abuses to keep you away from speaking as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4, verse 11. All right. All right, quickly, uh, why don't you um, celebrate Christmas and Easter religiously? Don't you love Jesus? Well, that's interesting. Uh, we do celebrate the event that Easter well, celebrates. first answer is yes, we love Jesus. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, and, but go ahead. Well, my, 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 my response to that would be, number one, we do celebrate the event that Easter celebrates. We do it in a different form. That's a once-a-year celebration. Yes. Whereas we believe that the, the in the New Testament, we're instructed to observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, which is a memorial of his death that he died sacrificially to make atonement possible for us. And so we remember the death of Jesus every first day of the week, not just once a year on Easter. The word Easter is in the King James Bible, and it's a corrupted translation in in Acts chapter 12. Uh, The King James translators made a horrible mistake uh, when they used the word Easter uh, in verse... uh, uh, What verse is that? Uh, I'll find it for you. Verse 4. Verse 4. Acts 12, verse 4. That should be Passover. And that should not be Easter in your King James Bible. If you see the word Easter there, that's wrong, and it shouldn't be there. We don't authorize. We we don't practice the observance of Christmas or Easter because it's not authorized. Mike says no Bible authority for church-sponsored holidays. We remember Christ every first day of the week in the Lord's Supper. All right, uh, Jim references Galatians four nine through eleven, where he would indicate that that uh, those days might be condemned by those uh, weak and beggarly elements of the world that people were turning to there. All right, and Anthony says we have no authority to observe Christmas and Easter. By command example, by command or example, to designate a specific calendar day as a holy day to observe these events. So, again, we've talked about it several times on the program, and you might be able to find that in our archives if you'll search for programs around December 25th of most years. Yeah, I think we've had... had, Programs on both Easter and Christmas, and more full and complete explanation as to why we don't believe they should be observed uh, uh, by the church religiously. All right, we're going this this next question. We're going to give to Monty. Why, Monty, do you condemn gambling? That is, in the form of the lottery, poker, bingo, etc. Well, when we think of gambling, we think of uh, games of chance where we're intending to win money or some other type of uh, commodity or product. When we look through the Bible, we find various authorized, we talked about authority earlier, various authorized ways of coming by this money or these products. We find that we can trade for things. We see that seen. We see that in the Bible and approved. We find that we can work for money and maybe some other things. Receive as a gift, maybe. We, yeah, we can get gifts. But I don't see any place in the Bible that authorizes me to get my income or the things that I need by playing games of chance. And when we think about it, if I work for my money, today I went to work and I worked 10 hours, and so I earned a certain amount of money, well, my employer got something of equal or greater value in trade for my labor. So he's going to give me a certain amount of money 
for the labor that I traded to him. Uh, when I engage in gambling, we all put our money on the table. Well, if I win, then I've taken money, but the person that put his money on the table didn't get anything back in trade of equal or greater value or something that was of value to him. He lost completely. So we don't find that type of activity authorized in the Bible as being an approved way of earning an income. So it's not a legitimate means of transfer of, of wealth. Uh, it is covetousness, and covetousness is condemned uh, as in Ephesians 5, verse 3, and it's a violation of the so-called golden rule, do unto others as you have others do unto you, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, uh, verse 12, Matthew 7, verse 12. Uh, I wouldn't want people to take money from me. Why should I take money from them concept? There's just a lot wrong with it. Mike says... Uh, Far too many Bible principles are violated. Uh, greed, First Timothy 6.10, danger of financial harm to families, covetousness. Uh, Anthony says the biblically authorized means of earning money is to work for it, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10. And uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant references uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, where uh, if any man is called a uh, covetous, uh, that we're not to keep company with such a one. And, so he's and, and he mentions Colossians well. 3, 5, that calls covetousness idolatry as okay. well. Last question. We're going to get it, Jay. We're going to get all 15 in. Amazing. Uh, what's wrong with eating in the church building? Got some good answers. Uh, Mike says, nothing at all. We do it every week during the Lord's Supper. Women often feed babies, bottles in the church, and so forth. It becomes wrong when we make it a work of the church. Uh, Anthony says, technically speaking, nothing one can physically eat in the church building. You know, I do that pretty often. I eat my lunch sitting at my desk as I as I do my work here at the mm-hmm. church building. I think we're misrepresented on that. We're not saying this, that it's a sin to put a morsel of food in your mouth within the confines of a church building. We're saying it's not the authorized work of the church to provide for such. And, of course, most religious denominations, many churches of Christ, make full provision with kitchens and eating halls, they make it a work, and they fund and finance and support the eating of common meals. And the only place in the New Testament where we have any church that came even close to doing that was in the Corinthian church, and Paul condemned them for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, what, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Yeah, that uh, reference is uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Jim references 22 and uh, uh, verse 34. Okay. So, that, uh, again, I hope everybody understands our position. We're not saying that you can't put a morsel of food in your mouth within the four walls of a church building. We're saying the church is not authorized to provide for such. That's okay. what our objection is. All right, uh, Jim has asked us to repeat the, the name that references uh, evidences for the church, uh, the name Church of Christ throughout history, and it is Trace the Church, uh, tracesofthekingdom.org, traces-of-the-kingdom-org. Okay. Uh, real quickly, uh, Mr. Um, oh, now me. you've got the problem. There's something going around. Uh, I missed a comment from Don here uh, about uh, celebrating Christmas or Easter. He says, uh, unlike those of the sign out front, the true Church of Christ does not celebrate, celebrate Christmas or Easter in any way, whether religiously or unreligiously, and this is because Christmas represents everything that Jesus preached against. And concerning uh, eating in the church building, he says, most of those with the sign out front don't have a problem with it. You see more and more Church of Christ buildings with fellowship halls, and they use these not only for the congregation to eat in, but also for wedding and baby showers, for example. 
And again, I, I take it that Don agrees with us that that's not authorized. All right. Uh, David, in, uh, I believe David's in Michigan tonight. He asked the question, we talked about uh, uh, gambling money. He asked the question, what about casting lots? What do you think about that? When we read about casting lots in the Bible, they're not talking about, uh, like we maybe think of throwing dice or whatever, and whatever number comes up, I'm the winner and I'm getting something for it. Uh, we read example in casting lots. I believe it was in Acts, maybe the chapter first one. chapter, yeah. where they was replacing Judas mm-hmm. because he had hanged himself. And mm-hmm. so they had chosen some, through some process or another, came down to these two men that they felt like were the proper candidates for it, and they cast lots in it. It was the equivalent of drawing straws. It would be like another. drawing straws. But okay. they weren't doing it to, for gain. They were doing it to, for the outcome, for information. And, and they were inspired men at that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're, we're, we are sorely out of time. We're out of time. Yeah. We got we got 15 questions in the 60 minutes. We we said it'd be rapid fire. It was. It was, but it was a good discussion, and so we appreciate uh, you for being a part of it. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, good discussion. Thank you, Monty, for filling in last minute. Great job on the controls tonight. Thank you for calling me. And uh, we appreciate, again, you being a part of the virtual Bible study and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life Study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.